Oh boy. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope Community Church. Those of you who are watching online, those of you who've gathered here in the room, we are so glad to have you with us this morning. Um, we like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Uh, we believe that's true. That's why we gather together, not just to see each other or not just to watch a show, uh, but because we believe that the Lord meets us as we uh, worship him. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this love that you have shown us that we don't deserve. I mean, we're very aware, God, of the ways that we have uh, stumbled and fallen and made a mess of the lives that you've given us and the opportunities that you give us, the responsibilities that you give us. God, we, we don't walk into this time with you uh, confident in our own righteousness or our own uh, perfection or our own ability to even get things right most of the time. God, we come into this moment of worship with you knowing that it's only by your grace and your goodness that our sins are forgiven, that you're not holding our faults against us, but out of love for us, like a father who can't help but love his kids. God, you... You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Thank you, God, for being gracious to us today. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to help us to see your love, to display it so clearly in his willingness to give his life for us, to set us free from bondage to sin and death and fear, all the rest to reunite us with you, God, to make it possible today for us to come to you confidently, confessing our sins, confessing our, our fears, our doubts, our questions, all the rest, God. We're just admitting it to you. We just come to you today, honest, saying we need your grace. We need your forgiveness. And when we do that, God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You wash away our sins. You, you pick us up. You embrace us as your kids. You adopt us into your own family, the Bible says. You make us your sons and your daughters. We can stand and sing, I am a child of God. Thank you, God, for setting us free. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for getting us to this time and this place today. Whether we're in the room or watching online, God, we are here with you by your grace, because of your love, because you have drawn us and continue to draw us to yourself. So again, today, God, I pray that you'd help us to have an honest encounter with you, the God who made us, the God who loves us. Help us to hear your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you very much. Uh, take just a second, look around the room, see who's in here with you. Wave at somebody that you haven't seen all week, uh, or maybe for longer than that. And uh, yeah, and then you can have a seat. Um, if you're watching online, I understand we had a couple technical difficulties for those of you uh, watching on at least one of the channels that we distribute this thing on. My apologies for that. We are always trying to figure out how to make this thing work better. Uh, just like I think Joe is trying to figure out how to do this without making a big loud noise again. Is that? Oh, no. You're, oh, you, oh, turned it off. Okay, that works. Um, 
we're, we're always trying something new, and, uh, and sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, thank you, Joe, Crystal, Amanda, for leading us this morning. And um, uh, we have, uh, oh, I did want to let you know, um, just by way of announcements as I drop my mask on the floor, uh, <clears throat> we would love to connect with you and to, uh, uh, to pray for you or anything else, any other way that we can serve you. So one good way to do that is to fill out one of those digital connect cards, uh, livinghope.info slash connect, takes you right there. And... Um, you can do that here in the room on your phone. You can do that uh, from home, wherever you are. Uh, if you're here in the room, of course, you can grab one of those little green cards in the back and drop that in the offering box before you go, um, which if you're giving uh, online, thank you. Uh, just livinghope.info slash give takes you right there. And you'll notice, well, you might not notice. You'll notice if you click on the little thing, if you go to that page, it gives you a little option there. You can enter in an amount you want to give. And then it's automatically, I think, set to just a general fund. You know, just, just giving a gift to the church to be used for the church's work here and around the world. Or you can specify what you want to give to. And some of you have done that. You've said, I want to give this specifically for a capital project to give to the building fund. Or I want this to go to the Acts 4 fund that goes to people here in the church. Or to the Good Neighbor fund that goes outside the church and has money available there as we partner with First Contact for people in the community uh, who have needs. Or you'll notice there are a couple of new options there. Uh, one of them is Habitat for Humanity. You can give specifically to that project. I mentioned this last week, and we'll have some more details sent out to you uh, later this week. Uh, but we are partnering with Porter County Habitat for Humanity and Thrivent Financial to, uh, to help do a, what they call a faith build, where a whole bunch of churches get together to help build one of these houses that Habitat for Humanity builds in communities for people who can't afford uh, to buy a house. Uh, now, these are t people with income. Uh, these are not, this is not shelter like, you know, for homeless people. This is somebody who uh, often they're working. I think sometimes they could be on disability. Um, but these are people who have income, who are out there working to help build the house. And we're going to have opportunities to get out there uh, in this coming year to get out there and build a house. But our goal financially this year is for us together to give $6,000. Uh, there's someone else in the church that has said, I'll match up to $6,000 if others in the church will give $6,000. And so together as a church, we'll give $12,000. And then Thriving comes along and doubles that again. And, uh, and so our gift collectively would be $24,000 toward the, uh, now I can't remember, it's just over $100,000, I think, that it costs to build the thing, uh, all, all told. So if you want to give specifically to the Habitat Project, you can do that. Just click on the little thing, say this is for Habitat, and you can give right there. You can split your gift among that. There's all kinds of, that's fanciness there, but anyway. Um, or if you're giving here, you can just put it in an envelope and write for Habitat for Humanity or whatever, and we'll put it toward that project. One other thing you can, you'll see in that drop down is um, the Mission Church in Hammond. Uh, we're part of the Church of the Nazarene. We're on the Northwest Indiana District as a part of that. And the Mission Church, we've actually had their pastor, Robbie Kanzler. She's preached here at least twice, uh, maybe three times now. I can't remember. And um, uh, she's doing amazing work there with her husband and their two kids. And they have been uh, working to get this church off the ground now for years. Robbie, with no salary, um, uh, living off of the income that they get from Mac, from Mac's job. Um, and we, as the Northwest Indiana District churches, uh, all the churches in Nazarene here in Northwest Indiana are coming alongside to try to help them with some capital expenditures they have that have been holding them back. They inherited an old building that's, you know, it's cool, it's nice that they've got this building. They need this building to have a location there in the neighborhood, in the community. Uh, they've thought about, like, should we just sell this thing and try to go rent a place? But realistically, the ministry happening there in the community wouldn't happen without this building. And so we're going to come alongside, along with a whole bunch of other churches, to help them fix a whole bunch of stuff. And so, again, there'll be more details there. Uh, there looks like there's going to be some opportunities for you to put in some sweat equity there, too, if you're skilled at uh, roofing or other kinds of things. There, there's a whole list of projects that we're coming alongside to help them with. 
but you can also give toward that. And again, that money is going to be matched by the district. There's a fund there that's going to match those gifts. Uh, so if you want to give to help the Mission Church and Hammond with their projects, you can just click that little thing and, and, and do that. So I want to let you know at least what those options meant that were in there, and, uh, and then we'll get some more details to you later. Uh, of course, if you're watching online or if you're here with us this morning, but next week, you know, you're not going to be here, uh, you can catch us on YouTube or Facebook uh, or usually this livinghope.info slash live. That's the one that was giving us a little hiccup this morning for some reason. Um, I just found out that some of the stuff that we use in the back end here in the office, uh, this planning center stuff, they've got an app that we might be able to like just have a little church app. And you could open up the app there and see like, uh, look up other people in the church if you want. It's all opt-in, so none of your information would ever be shared unless you want it to be. Uh, you could look up that person's number that you couldn't remember and like, oh, that's right, I wanted to call them, see how they're doing. You could open that app and just stream the service right there. Um, or you could open that app and do your online giving. There's all kinds of options there, but um, we're looking into that to see what that might look like. But right now, three places you can watch. And uh, at least on Facebook and YouTube, this service will be there later. And uh, hi to all of you uh, living in the future who are watching this later this week. All right. Uh, last Sunday was a lot of fun. Uh, we had this, uh, this opportunity to gather together outside at the YMCA Pavilion, and uh, most of you were there with us. Uh, that was fun. It wasn't perfect, obviously. Um, there was all kinds of uh, technical difficulties there, too. My apologies to those of you who tried watching online. Um, we, we thought we were recording it at the same time so I could upload a nice, clean recording. That didn't work. Um, you know, we had all kinds of wind uh, issues with the audio and things like that. But it was fun for those of us who were able to gather uh, as we celebrated 20 years together as a church. And I was mentioning last Sunday that we started this thing 20 years ago to help people connect with God, with each other, and with the world in need of God's love. I mean, that, those were the, that's the way we've been talking about it now for 20 years, that there are people, uh, all of us, I should say, uh, that start out disconnected from God. And there are people in our community who are not connected to the God who made them, who loves them, who are eager, who need that connection, who are hungry for that connection. They might not be able to put a name to it yet, uh, but they feel a need in there. Uh, there are some folks that aren't feeling that need because they've stuffed it full of other things. But we want to help people get connected to God, people with questions, people with doubts, people who want to just kind of explore this thing. They've been exploring different religions, and they're like, yeah, I should look into Christianity. And, and we thought, well, we can provide a place where people can be safe to bring those questions, uh, to, to explore what Christian faith might look like, and to know that they can walk in the room or watch online and, um, and not have somebody looking down their noses at them like, what are you doing here? You know, you don't dress like us. You don't smell like us. You don't, what, why? You don't belong here, which I know some of us have had those kinds of experiences in churches in the past, um, sadly. Um, and so we are trying as a church to help Folks like that get connected to the God who loves them to experience that grace, that forgiveness, that new life, and to get connected with each other, and to get connected with the world in need of God's love. Um, we do that locally. We do that around the world, supporting mission projects. We do that here in Northwest Indiana, supporting a sister church there in Hammond, uh, or reaching out to folks through Habitat or Shelter Ministries or all kinds of different things that we do to try to help people experience God's love. Uh, now, every church, to some extent, is trying to do this, Right? I mean, I don't think there's a church that exists where people would say, like, oh, no, we don't want to help people get connected to God. No, this is just for us. You know, I don't think there's any church out there that would say that. Uh, but, uh, but every church feels different, right? How, how many of you have attended at least one other church before you walked into Living Hope? Uh, yeah, I've, most of us have, have been in if not all of us. At some point in our lives, we walked into a place, and, uh, and we experienced church. Some of us, it was a great experience, and you found Jesus there, and it was life-giving. Uh, some of you... Uh, not so much, unfortunately. 
but when you show up here, uh, we've had a lot of people remark that it just feels a little different than some of the experiences you've had in the past. And why is that? What is it that makes us here at Living Hope so weird, uh, so unusual? What is it about us? When we do our little Living Hope 101 class to introduce people to the church, um, we call it on that page our values, but it's not... It's more like personality quirks is what I, when I look at it. It's things that are important to us that say, why is it our church feel a little different than the church down the street? And uh, I, I put them, my apologies to those of you online, I, I printed out some notes and then I didn't manage to get them on the screen for you. I'm sorry. You know what I'll do? I'll put a link uh, later on Facebook. If you want to download the little piece of paper, download the PDF of this, uh, you can. Um, don't feel like you need to scribble furiously. Deb, I know you're trying to. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Every, every week she comes in, she works in the office, and she's like, I was trying to take notes as fast as I could. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I made you feel like you had to do that. All right. Uh, so I put on here 10 personality quirks of living hope. Um, we call them values in, that, in the book, but I'm just going to read them real quick. And then we're going to look at a couple of them today. And the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these things that make our church odd or different or unique. Um, or I shouldn't even say unique. 20 years ago, we were a little more unique. Uh, when we started this church 20 years ago, when I, when I showed up to town 21 years ago to, uh, to think, okay, God, is this really what you want us to do? And to start laying the groundwork and start making connections. And I, I was reaching out to all the different churches in town. Are you aware of any other new churches that have started here? And, and people could point me to one that had started about six years earlier, I think. And, uh, and that church still exists. Uh, um, and uh, I you know, reach out to the pastor, bought them lunch, talked to them. And, you know, what are things like here in the community? I'm just trying to get a feel for it. And, uh, and then after we got started in 2000, uh, before our fifth birthday, about a half a dozen other new churches got started. And, and then there's been perpetually new churches starting from time to time uh, here in Valparaiso. And as new churches get started, we are a little less unique, I suppose. There are, there are plenty of other churches out there uh, that are doing things kind of like that, that would uh, echo many of the things I'm going to say today. Um, and so I'm not saying this to put down any other church. I'm a big fan of every church in our community uh, that's connecting people with Jesus and helping people to find new life in him. Uh, I tell people that frequently. So if you are connected with another church, if you're watching today and you're connected with another church, good. I'm glad for that. I'm not trying to pull people out of their churches. Just want us to understand who we are. So, uh, so open acceptance, uh, life change, authenticity, spiritual faithfulness, humility or teachability, personal responsibility, servanthood, creativity, excellence, and flexibility. Uh, those are the 10 things that we talk about in that class, and I know I just read them fast, sorry. Uh, so today we're going to look at a couple of those, open acceptance and life change. And I just want to read to you how we describe them there in the, in the little handbook we give out in Living Hope 101. When we say we value open acceptance, we mean that we welcome and love all people, especially those who haven't yet committed to a relationship with Christ. We hope that everyone who contacts our church experiences in some way the welcoming open arms of their Heavenly Father. This is important to us, and it, it impacts the way we do things here. Uh, we also believe in, in life change. We believe that God has the power to truly change us, even when we can't change ourselves. Sometimes dramatically, sometimes subtly and gradually, God is always transforming us to become more like Jesus Christ. So we believe that, uh, what, what's the old saying? Uh, that God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way? Something like that uh, is the old kind of little bumper sticker thing. Um, but that's true. Uh, God loves each and every one of us. And there's no room for any of us to look down our noses at anybody who might walk through our doors or, or watch online, uh, who connects with our church to say, like, well, we belong here, but you don't. 
you know, or we have somehow earned our position here, but you haven't yet. Uh, that's just not how this thing works. That's not how this relationship with God works at all. And it's not what God shows us of himself in Jesus Christ. That's what I want us to look at today. Uh, there's a couple of stories uh, of Jesus' encounter with people. Actually, there are a whole lot of them, and I just couldn't include them all. Uh, I just ran out of time and room. And so I, I, I've gone in a couple of places just saying, oh, also see this story. Also see that story. Um, but Jesus, you know, was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? I mean, that's, how, that's one of the things that people said, to, uh, said about Jesus. Like, he's always hanging out with these sinners, I was hanging out with these tax collectors. Tax collectors get mentioned a lot in the gospel. Uh, people really didn't like those tax collectors. I know you all love them. You all love every, everything about paying taxes. Um, but, um, but in those days in particular, because tax collectors were working for the occupying force from Rome, collecting taxes from their fellow Jews and sending them off to Rome uh, to support the very soldiers who were there in their town and who were making life so miserable. And the way they typically got paid was by just adding their own charges on top and saying, oh, you, you know, Rome says you owe this much, but you owe this much, and taking more than, I mean, that, they like kind of worked on commission almost, and, uh, and if they could cheat you out of more, they would, and so they were despised by everybody but Jesus, I mean, Jesus, in fact, uh, I've got a story from Luke chapter 5 uh, that's here in your notes, again, I'm just going to feel bad every time I refer to this because I don't have it for you guys watching, I, I apologize, in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27, says that Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. He's calling Levi to be one of his disciples. I mentioned last week, Jesus had this ragtag bunch uh, that represented all sorts of different people. Actually, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Talking about how Jesus had people who collaborated with the Romans, collecting taxes for him, and zealots who were trying to overthrow the Romans. And he invites them both to his table to be his disciples, to learn from him. Because he believes that through both of them, he was going to be able to fashion a people who could represent him well in the world. So this is a tax collector, Levi, or we think Levi and Matthew are the same dude, just two different names. Um, so it says, Levi then held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. You know, so he invites all his buddies saying, hey guys, I'm not going to be collecting taxes anymore, I'm going to be following Jesus, you ought to meet him. He invites them all over to this big banquet, and they're all hanging out. And says, the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing? Don't you know how this is supposed to work? We're supposed to keep them at arm's length. We're not supposed to uh, buddy up with them because they need to know how dirty and rotten and sinful they are. That's the only way they're going to change. And we as a nation, the Pharisees believe that if we want the Messiah to arrive, if we want God to finally set things right, we gotta, we got to purify ourselves, we got to live right, we got to obey all the rules, and, uh, and if we'll just do that, then God will finally uh, come and help us. And so all those people who weren't following the rules, people who weren't doing what they were supposed to do, they were a problem for the Pharisees, and the solution they'd come up with was to say, okay, well, we want to push them out. We either want to just push them out altogether so they don't, like, their sins don't count you know, against us, or we want to shun them so that they will finally see they need to change and will come around. But here Jesus is not following that approach at all. He's like, oh yeah, come on guys. You know, he just embraces them, eats with them, which in those days was a sign of acceptance, respect. So they're asking, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's saying, these are the people that I'm here for. 
These, this is the reason I've come. I've come to bring healing. And who, who shows up with the doctor? It's people who know that they're broken, who know that they need healing. He's, in all of his encounters with the Pharisees, repeatedly they show they don't think they need any healing. They don't think they need his help. They think they've got this thing figured out. And so they, they reject Jesus over and over again. But Jesus says, well, that's, that's not why I've come. I've come for people like this. And Jesus just welcomes them. He is a friend to sinners. Jesus did a lot of eating with other folks. In Luke chapter 7, you can read about a time where he was at one of the Pharisees' houses. So they invite him. He goes to their house too. And, uh, and he's eating at Simon the Pharisee's house. And while he's reclining at the table, a woman comes in and starts uh, washing his feet. She's crying and washing his feet with her tears. She's, she's drying them with her hair. She's pouring perfume on his feet, kissing his feet. And the host thinks, well, that's, that's, not only is this weird, you know, which that's, that's, today we're like hearing that, we're thinking, that's really odd. Why would you do that? Um, it was made a little easier by the way they reclined at tables so his feet were like sticking way out there. It's not like she was crawling under the table to do this. Um, but Jesus said, and Simon the Pharisee, his host, is like, well, he must not be a prophet or he'd know this is a sinner that's touching him. He would say something. He, would, you know, he wouldn't let her do this if he knew what kind of person she was. So clearly he doesn't know, and he must not be a prophet. And Jesus says to Simon, he's like, i got a little story for you, Simon. Uh, two people owed a lot of money. One owed 500 denarius. It's like a day's wage, like 500 days. Labor. So over a year's worth of, of, of wages. Somebody owes 500, and somebody else owes 50. Both of them have their debts forgiven. Which one of them is more grateful? He said, well, the, the one who had the larger sum forgiven. And Jesus says, yeah, exactly. And he turns to the woman. He says, do you see this woman? Which I think is an interesting question. Because Jesus sees her for who she is. And this Pharisee doesn't. He sees this dirty, rotten sinner. Do you see this woman? You, know, you didn't offer to wash my feet when I came in. It was kind of a common courtesy thing to do when people came to your house back then. Today we just take our shoes off. Back then you had to wash the feet and everything. And um, you didn't wash my feet. He, didn't offer, he talks about all the things you didn't do for me, but here this woman has been, from the moment I walked in, has been, has been you know, bathing my feet with her tears. And uh, you didn't kiss me on the cheek when I walked in, Jesus says, which, uh, you know, greeting we don't do here in America, but especially not now. Um, but she's been kissing my feet. She, she's been pouring perfume. She clearly shows, she's demonstrating by her love that her many sins have been forgiven. And he turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. Everyone's scandalized. How can you say, you know, only God forgives sins. And Jesus just says, look, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I can, I can see him looking kindly uh, to this woman that everyone else is shunning. And Jesus looks at her with kindness, tells her to go in peace, tells her she's forgiven. She's demonstrated this forgiveness by her gratitude, by her love. This is how Jesus over and over again shows that he has these arms open wide to people. Lepers, people with diseases that, that others were pushing aside and said, oh, no, stay away from us. We don't want to catch that from you. We can relate to that one a little more, I suppose. And Jesus uh, walks up to them and touches them and heals them. These people who maybe hadn't been touched for years, who were considered untouchable, and Jesus touches them. People who had been pushed aside, Jesus goes to them. This, for some reason, my mind was going to this story in Mark chapter 5 where um, uh, Jesus is on his way to heal uh, uh, a religious guy's uh, daughter who's dying 
and there's this huge crowd, and there's a woman in the crowd who's been uh, she's subject to bleeding for 12 years. We don't know what's going on exactly, but she's got some kind of bleeding disorder, and she, she knows, like, if I can even just kind of touch his cloak, I know I'll be healed, and she reaches out and touches his clothing, and she is. She can feel that she is already healed. She can, like, feel it stop. She can feel the, that she is healed, and Jesus feels something, too. He stops and starts looking around and says, hey, who, who touched me? He says he felt that power had gone out from him. He felt that this healing power had left him. He's like, who, who touched me? And the disciples are like, uh, everybody's touching you. You know, everybody can't wait to, you know, there's a crowd. Everyone's bumping into us. What are you talking about? He says, no, no, no. Someone, he, he, like he's looking for the person who just got healed, who experienced this. Finally, she realizes I can't get, a, you know, it's going to be obvious soon. And she, she just comes to him and she kneels down and she tells him, you know, it was me and, and uh I kind of feel like almost like she's apologizing, you know, in this, as you read this story. And Jesus, Jesus just, again, I see him like looking with kindness on her. It's like he was just trying to find this person. It's like, wait, I need to talk to this person who's just been healed so they know that they are loved. And he again tells her to, to go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. Um, I don't know why that story was connecting my brain this week. I, so I, I thought I'd better share it just in case that's the story that somebody out there needs to hear today. It's in Mark chapter 5. Uh, you can look it up. But Jesus over and over again is showing kindness to people who others are not showing kindness to and confronting those who think, well, I've got it together and are pushing others away. Uh, it was in one of those moments in Luke chapter 15 uh, where, uh, <laughs> again, the, the the Pharisees, tax collectors, the Pharisees and, and teachers of the law are saying, like, why does he hang out with all these people? What, what is he doing hanging out with, with sinners? And that Jesus turns to him and tells the parable of the, of the shepherd who had 100 sheep and lost one and leaves the 99 sheep safe and goes and finds the one and comes back and celebrates because this lost sheep had been found. A story of the woman who had 10 coins and lost one and turns the house upside down until she finally finds it and invites her friends to celebrate with her because she has found this, this coin. And, and he says uh, to them, look, there's more celebration in heaven over one lost sinner who repents, who comes home, than there is over nine people who you know, aren't lost, who are doing just fine. He says there's a celebration in heaven when lost people come home. And then he tells the story about the man who had two sons. And the younger one says, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I want my inheritance now. And, uh, and so the father gives it to him. And he goes off and he wastes it all on wild living in a distant country. And, and then the son begins to be in need. He's squandered all his resources. There's a great famine. He doesn't have enough to eat. No one else is helping him. All his friends who are happy for him to, to pay the tab uh, all of a sudden aren't helping him now. He finds himself feeding pigs and wishing he'd eat the pig slop. But nobody will even give him any of that. And he realizes, man, Back in my father's house, there is, uh, you know, at least the servants get to eat. Maybe if I go back, if I grovel enough, if I apologize to my dad, maybe he'll hire me. Maybe he'll at least let me work for him so I can eat, so I can live, so I won't die out here. And the whole way home, he's practicing his speech and it says that the father saw him while he was still a long way off and ran to him. And the, the son starts to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And that's what, all he can get out before the father muffles his voice in an embrace and welcomes him and says, uh, says to the servants, quick, get a cloak and put it on him. Quick, get the, the family ring. Uh, quick, get that fattened calf we've been saving for a special occasion. Slaughter it. Start the party. Get it started because my son who is dead is alive, who is lost, is found. This picture of the God who loves us so much that we come home smelling like pig slop, smelling like the mess that we are, and God doesn't say, oh, you know what, wait, 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 don't come, this is, 
You know, this is uh, God's house here. Uh, clean yourself up first. You're not dressed appropriately. What do you think you're doing? You, you haven't had a bath in weeks. What are you doing? This is not a God who turns people away at the church doors. This is a God who comes running and embraces and welcomes us home. The story doesn't end there because then the story goes on to talk about that older brother who was out in the field and was wondering what was going on. What, he sees the celebration starting as he's coming in from work and, uh, and he asks one of the servants, what's the deal? He says, oh, your brother's back and your father's killed the fattened calf. We're having a celebration. And the son gets mad and won't go in and the father comes out to him. Just like the father went out to his younger son, the father goes out to his older. He loves them both. Comes out to him and says, what's the deal? And the, the older son complains, I've been slaving for you for years. You won't even let me have a, a little goat to have a party with my friends. But now this, this son of yours who has squandered all, uh, all of your inheritance on, uh, well, on wild living. I don't remember the, it's a little coarser what he says, I can't remember now. But, um, and you kill the fattened calf for him. This is so unfair. And the father says, look, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Do you not know my heart? Do you, how could your heart be so hard? He doesn't say this, but I'm thinking, do you not know my heart? Is your, how can your heart be so hard toward your brother when, when he was lost and is found, he's dead and alive? We had to celebrate. How is it you've been with me this whole time and haven't recognized who it is to be my child? How can you have a hard heart toward that brother of yours who has come home? And you know, we... We read that story in Luke 15, and of course it's encouraging to us, and we're so grateful that God has welcomed us back when we have screwed up and when we need it. But the danger is, man, it's so easy for us to become that older brother along the way, to forget how good God has been to us, to think that, to, to look at someone else who's making decisions they shouldn't be making, who's doing destructive things uh, that are hurting them, hurting us, hurting others around them. And it's easy for us to get into a place where we start looking down on them because, you know, we've been sacrificing. We've been working hard to do what's right and to, to have enough uh, resources to be able to share with others. But then it's hard sometimes for us to give those resources. We're like, well, why didn't they work as hard as I worked? Or why, why don't they make the choices I've made? And we forget how good God has been to us. And I feel like God's looking at us saying, how is it that your heart is so different than mine? How is it that you don't understand who I am? How this works? There's a story in John chapter 8 that uh, just puts this in stark relief to me. Um, it says that Jesus was in the temple courts. He was teaching. I'll, I'll read this part here. Let's see. It's John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group in front of a crowd and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You know, we talked in the last couple of weeks about some of these questions that Jesus would get asked. They're trying to trap him. They're saying, it's one or the other. Do we stone her or don't we? And they know if he says, well, yeah, the law says stone her, go ahead. They know that the crowds are going to say, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Jesus, what happened to grace? What happened to mercy? What happened to compassion? But if he says, no, no, don't stone her, then they're going to say, ah, you're telling people to disobey the law. It says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And we have no idea. There are theories about what he was drawing or writing on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, they're not letting him go. He straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up. I kind of imagine him looking around like, hmm, what? Like he wasn't paying attention, you know. He straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. That's that open acceptance. He's saying, look, I'm not condemning you. It reminds me of John 3, 16 and 17. You know, we know 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And verse 17 continues. It says, for the um, son came into the world not, for God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn but to save, to rescue. And that's why the, his last words to her, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He's setting her free from this. Are you, are you wanting to say something? Yeah, come on. Let me, uh, can you come this way? Or can you, I can't, I can't, uh, I don't want to walk off screen here. <laughs> here, Kristen. Yeah. I thought it was interesting with the woman who touched his cloak. There were so many rituals when it came to like bleeding disorders. Like, like you were just unclean and like just to be able to go back into a synagogue or a church, you know, you, there, was a, there was a whole thing you had to go through. And Jesus could have just let it go. I mean, for him to have been touched by someone who is unclean was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, then he had his own thing he would have had to do yeah. to get clean. And so for him to stop and, like, publicly be like, yeah. like, I mean, right? Like, he would have had to go through, like, he, he would have had to go through a big deal. So it wasn't just, like finding out who it was, but he was making a point to say to her, like, the epitome of, like, filth, you know, for that moment. Like, yeah. I'm acknowledging that you have touched me, mm-hmm. you know, and that you have not soiled me, but just to acknowledge that, like, yeah. it was just, like, interesting to me because I, I just, like, I was thinking about it. I hadn't thought about it when I heard that scripture before. Mm-hmm. But, so you were talking about it. Yeah. I hope all of you were able to catch what Crystal said there about uh, uh, she's talking through a mask, and thank you, Crystal, for that. But um, um, that woman who was, had the bleeding problem, and Jesus stops and, and says, who touched me? And he draws public attention to the fact that this woman who, with that kind of a bleeding disorder in her day, was considered unclean, untouchable, having to stay away. Uh, Jesus could have just kind of moved on and not drawn attention to it because that had implications for Jesus, too. Like, if you're touched by an unclean person, a person with these kind of disorders, then you were considered unclean. And with Jesus, it always went the other way. It's like he's not contaminated by the sin. He, he purifies the people who touch him, who come into contact with him. But he's, he is willing to, to embrace us in our sin, in our mess. He's not keeping his distance from us. I know uh, a lot of uh, times we will talk about how sin separates us from God, um, how it breaks that connection between us and God and, and it breaks that relationship. And sometimes I think we hear that and we think, oh yeah, God can't stand to be around sinners. Like God, God doesn't want sinners to get close to him, but he demonstrates something very different in Jesus. In Jesus, God comes right to us sinners, us dirty, rotten, unclean sinners, and he embraces us. He joins us in the mess so that we can experience his cleansing, so we can experience his healing, so our lives can be changed. He sets us free 
from those things that have held us back. Um, there's another story you can look at from Luke 18. We don't have time to look at it today, but I, I love it. Um, Oh, fine, I'll look at it. Okay, Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So good guy, bad guy, right? The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And let me tell you how else I'm so wonderful, God. I mean, that's what it feels like. He's like giving his resume, and he's pointing out the sins of others and thanking God that he's not the dirty, rotten sinner like this guy over here. And I'm imagining him praying this out loud uh, in earshot of this other person. And sadly, sometimes we Christians can do this. We can, we can look at all those dirty, rotten sinners out there and say, well, the world would be better or the nation would be better if those people would just get their act together. It's their fault that we're having all these problems. It's not me, though, God. I'm doing what's right. Thanks for helping me to be such a good person. He says the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We don't, any of us, have room to look down our noses at anyone else to make our prayers to God or think, to think our relationship with God is all about how amazing we are. Our, our relationship with God, our conversations with God ought to be all about, God, you are amazing. You have been so good to me. Help me to be good to others. You were gracious to me when I was shaking my fist at you or when I was angry with you or when I was trying my best to ignore you and your Holy Spirit reaching out to me. And, and I know people were praying for me, God, but I was doing my best to ignore all of that because I had a life I wanted to live and I was, I was intent on living it. And God, you got a hold of me anyway. Thank you, God, for not giving up on me. Thank you for those who didn't give up on me, who continued to reach out with love and grace. Thank you, God, that you finally got my attention, that you finally welcomed me home. Thank you, God, for forgiving my sins. God, I continue to depend on your grace, on your love. That's the attitude that we ought to have as we approach the God who loves us, the God who made us, the God who is with us. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Paul, at this point, a leader in the church who is telling others, look, follow my examples. I follow the example of Christ. He's somebody who could stand up there and say, look, guys, I've, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm doing all that I can to, to please God. Instead, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He says, God was merciful to me so he could use my messed up life as an example of look how patient God is with people. Paul's own story of how for years he had persecuted the church. For years he had, he had worked against Jesus. He wasn't just not Christian, he was anti-Christian. But Jesus reached out to him with love and grace so he could be an example for others who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All the glory goes to you, God. You deserve all the credit for what my life has become. It is not me. 
but you are the one, God, who is able to change me, who has been able to transform me, who has been able to help me to, to turn from that, uh, <laughs> that truly evil person that I was into a person that's beginning to be able to reflect your love and your goodness and your grace to the world around me. This matters to us as a church. And I want us forever to be the kind of place that anyone can walk into and that when they do, they don't experience a bunch of uh, uptight people thinking that we're too good for them. Um, but instead, they experience the love and the grace of God through people who know we have experienced it. God has been so gracious to me, so why would I be anything less than gracious to you? Um, if God has, has healed me, why, why would I not want you to experience that same healing? If God has forgiven me, of course, I want you to experience that same forgiveness. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he is a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors, a friend of the abandoned, of the outcasts. He calls us to be as well. This only happens as we open our lives up to him and allow him to change us from the inside out. And the good news is, he does. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray before we celebrate communion together. God, thank you for the great love that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We had earned for ourselves condemnation and death. And that's, that's what sin earns for us. We were on the path to destruction, to perishing. But God, you loved us. And you didn't want to see us continue down that path. So you came to us in Jesus Christ. You offered yourself, your love, your life, so that we could experience forgiveness and grace and new life ourselves. So that what is broken in us can be healed by your Holy Spirit. So that what is, what is dead in us can be made alive by your work by the resurrection power of Jesus at work within us. We were living our lives enslaved to sin, powerless to break ourselves free. And Lord Jesus, you came and broke the chains. You came and set us free. Thank you. Thank you for this forgiveness, for this new life. Would you help us as individuals? Would you help us as, as groups of friends? Would you help us as your church to always reflect this grace to others, to give people the hope that their lives can be different. Use us as examples, God. Help us not to, to hide our backgrounds or to try to pretty up our stories, but help us to be willing to be honest about our own failings so that others can know, wow, if God can do that for you, maybe he can do something with me too. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate together this sacrament of Holy Communion. We offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We offer you ourselves and pray that by your Spirit's continued work in us, that we might be transformed, that our lives might be changed, that we might live in this world as your kids, as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, extending to others the same grace you have extended to us. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, if you're uh, with us online, uh, if you would like to participate in communion, you have uh, a couple of minutes to gather together some bread or some juice. Um, and then we're going to celebrate communion together before we go. Thank you, God. Thank you for the love you've shown us in Jesus Christ and for this opportunity we have to, uh, to celebrate that with this sacrament of communion. On the night that Jesus uh, was betrayed, he was uh, celebrating the Passover with his disciples. He was celebrating this wonderful freedom that God has given to his people, freedom from slavery. He takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body broken for you. Take this, eat it in remembrance of me. He took the cup and said, This is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This seals the new agreement, the new covenant between God and humanity. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Thank you again, Lord Jesus, for the love that you have shown to us, for the grace that we have experienced as we have turned toward you. You do not push us away, but you come running to us, embrace us, and celebrate our return. Thank you, God. Again, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, transform our hearts and lives. So that everyone who meets us, everyone you send us to, God, might experience in us your grace, your love, your kindness. Thank you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.